We are back on the Falcons Audible, presented by AT&T. Your normal crew is here. Your normal crew is ready to talk about some Falcons, some NFL. I'm Derek Rackley. That's DJ Shockley. Dave Archer, thanks so much for joining us, however you get your podcast material. If it's all audio, listen up. If you're watching video <laughs> as well, hopefully we give you some smiles and some, some excitement and uh, uh, a little bit of everything here on the podcast. Uh, here's what we got on the docket today. We'll talk a little bit about next man up because that's been the philosophy, or at least it was last week in Atlanta, pretty healthy throughout the entire season, maybe up until this past Sunday. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the breakdown of the game uh, against the Buccaneers. Maybe a little Q&A, and then we will talk about who is on deck next as Atlanta stays in the division, travels to Carolina to face a Panthers team who you'd like to think you got to have confidence going into that matchup. But, again, that's why they say you got to play the game on Sundays. <laughs> For sure. So, um, let's start with next man up. I had been talking about in the pregame show, and I'm sure we've kind of talked about it here on the podcast, fellas, that by and large, you know, outside of a Grady Jarrett injury early in the season – Atlanta has stayed pretty healthy throughout the course of this season, all things considered, okay? Um, you could go around the league. You can think about, like, a Minnesota Vikings losing Jefferson, losing Cousins, right? When you lose marquee players like that, it derails your season in the NFL. You just can't replace guys like that. Well, Atlanta had been able to hold things together. David Onyemata is a great example, a guy that stepped up when Grady Jarrett got hurt early on the season, and he has been a problem all season long. Well, now we had an issue this past weekend where Atlanta got bit by the injury bug. Yeah. All right. And everybody that was paying attention to the game knows no Kayla McGarry, no Drew Dalton. Jake Matthews went out in the game. Lindstrom went out in the game. He was able to come back in. No late Nate Lamman, no Jeff Okuda. Contavia Street got banged up, missed the rest of the game as he ended up trying to fill in some holes. So I guess this is kind of the elephant in the room. Maybe it's a dumb question. Maybe it's a layup, DJ. But was this the first time that the injuries became a, a serious issue that cost Atlanta the game? I wouldn't go as far as to say it cost you the game, but it definitely was a big part of the game. Um, and I'll be honest, uh, no team in the NFL is going to feel sorry for another team for having injuries. Sure. Uh, you mentioned it. It happens. The attrition of the season happens throughout a year and guys get banged up and you hope that, you know, when guys get banged up, maybe it's a week, maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's not the entire season. But I go back to, I think a big part of this is why coaches stress OTAs, mini camps, training camp, preseason, because you have to find those depth guys because it's going to happen. And regardless if it happens early in the season or late in the year, you're going to have some guys in and out of the lineup. And when you have guys who you feel are – good enough to feel the void of those guys when they go out, then you feel a little bit better about your team. But you go back to the game on Sunday, I think the biggest area of concern that you saw with the attrition was obviously up front and the Bucks' ability to be able to run the football. I think we were really hurt uh, in the ball game with the amount of guys that were hurt in the interior because they really ran the football in the interior part of our defense and, of course, you know, going for, you know, over 140 yards rushing. And you can see there were times, especially late in the ball game, where when they needed a big-time drive, they ran the football. And I remember one particular drive where, you know, they run it four, five, six times in a row, and they're picking up chunk yardage. So I think throughout the year, yeah, the, the attrition of your players going down, you just hope it's kind of if – if it can't be spread out between a couple different positions. But in this ball game, it seems like – in the trenches is where you were hurt the most. Yeah. And obviously the starters are starters for a reason. I was a guy who was a backup 
uh, for a lot of my career in college and in the NFL, and you're considered why you're the backup because, hey, that's who you are. But I think in those positions, it's still hard for those guys to kind of fill the void of the guys that were out, and you end up being hurt by it. You're right. In the National Football League, Arch, there's nobody's going to make excuses when you get hurt because everybody deals with injuries. But your job as a professional, whether you're a coach or you're a player, is the next guy up and needs to come in and contribute and help a team win the football game. DJ makes a great point, though. I went back and looked, and my numbers may not be exact. But over the last four drives for Tampa, I think I added up that they had 68 to 70 rushing yards just in their last four drives of the game. To me, I agree with you. It looked like not having Anyamata, not having some of those guys up front, they were able to run the football a little bit more effectively. As you're calling the game, did you get that same sense towards the end of the game? Yeah, you could feel the battle attrition starting to wear Atlanta down defensively because you were down to your fifth defensive tackle, sixth defensive tackle. And one of those guys, the young man Key, who comes from Kennesaw State, first guy to ever take a snap for a Kennesaw State owl in an NFL game uh, and did a good job of battling in there, but the rotation got thinner and thinner. And it's yeah. not that he couldn't play. It's that you got so thin that the rotation to keep those guys fresh. Remember, this was a defense that now Calais Campbell had to play some of the inside. He was playing edge, playing inside, just because the numbers got down. I think we even saw Zach Harrison potentially get a couple of inside snaps just to try to spell some of those guys. Ultimately, you got worn down on the defensive front. But I thought it happened to both sides. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember Tampa was without three guys on all three levels. Vita Vea was out, Devin White was out, and Jamal Dean was out. Yep. The, the, the three, a corner, a middle linebacker, and, the, and their nose tackle, who's been a problem for us since he's been in the league, I thought both defenses, the bow broke in the fourth quarter. I thought that they started to give a little bit in midway through the third, and then I thought both defenses, as much as they held onto the rope and kind of created opportunities to get off the field for themselves, ultimately they broke and both offenses broke through. You know, we've talked about this throughout the course of the season, and I know it's been a big discussion over the last 48 hours has been the play of Desmond Ritter. So I wanted to get our quarterbacks here to talk a little bit about what they saw from him in the game. Um, did have a career high 347 yards passing in the game. And again, I think we could all agree that there are times when he makes some really good decisions and some really good throws. But there's still some times where, and again, I haven't had a chance to break down the tape. Maybe you have, maybe Arch, DJ. Uh, but you had the interception on the quick screen to the outside. Uh, Might have been a missed block. Maybe it was the timing got ended up get, got messed up. But then you had the safety as well. Looked like Desmond held onto the football a little bit. But you got to know that when a defensive end at the end kind of sifts down, he's going to slant inside and you're going to have somebody coming to the outside, right? So Antoine Winfield comes from the outside. He ends up beating Keith Smith around the corner. The ball gets knocked out. Keith recovers it, but it's a safety for two points. You know, kind of turns things around. You're hoping maybe you get a little bit of breathing room. Assess the play from what you saw from Desmond Ritter, good and bad. Yeah, I thought he was solid. I think he continues to do solid stuff. We see athleticism. We see the touchdown run where he outruns the guy to the corner and gets in the end zone. Uh, he made a number of big-time throws. Obviously, the numbers would indicate you know he threw for big yardage. Um, some of that came late in the football game, a couple of big throws to Drake, certainly the one right at the end of the game that ends up at the three-yard line is added into that yep. when you start looking at the numbers. So don't get caught up in that. But 26 completions, I thought they had explosive plays in the pass game. The ones that, that bother you a little bit for Dez is he, he really believes in his arm, which is cool. Um, Shock had a big arm. Um, and – I didn't, so I didn't try to shove the ball into areas I couldn't get it into. This would be more Shock's department. Shock, give me a mindset 
that when you need to choke the motor a little bit, he tries to throw the seam route to Janu. It hits the defender like in the back shoulder, pops in the air. Now it ended up being a holding penalty in that play. That get, the interception gets called back. And then he tried to shove one in. It didn't look like it need to be there. That in cut that went right through the middle linebacker's hands. Give me an idea in your mind from a big arm standpoint. How do you pump the brakes on that? When do you take those shots? It's it's tough because um, I'll be honest. When you have the ability to make those throws, you have the ability to put those throws into tight windows and you've made them, it gives you the confidence to say, okay, I can make that throw when I need to or when it's called for. And the other part about it is, which Dez has is, he has some dudes on the outside that if you give them an opportunity, mm-hmm. they're going to come down yeah. with it. So that's part of I'm going to put my guys up to bat even if the coverage doesn't dictate it or even if I don't really see it as good as I want to, but I know my guy out there will make a play for me. And I think sometimes that is the the hard part for a guy who can make those type of throws. And there are tons of them you watch around the league, and I think sometimes the risk-reward is one of those things you look at and say, okay, I feel like the risk – will outweigh what happens at the end of a play because I can make this throw, and I've seen it happen over and over again. Now, I think the big thing that you have to do as a guy who has that kind of arm is to understand what moment does this help my team? What moment does this put my team in danger, whether it's early in the ballgame or late in the ballgame situations? I have to know when, okay, I can force this football and maybe I get a chance to come and my guy comes down with it, or is it really worth it? And I think Dez has gone through that throughout his, you know, his his tenure here throughout this season, and he's learned. Okay, here are times where maybe I shouldn't throw this football because there. You mentioned there were times where he felt like maybe I should hold on to it a bit longer. We've seen it in a couple ball games where you're like, okay, maybe he should have let that one go. And then there's times we're like, man, he ripped that one. He believed yep. in yep. that that throw. He believed in what he saw from the defense. So I, it's hard for a guy who has made these throws who's done it to say, all right, let's pull the let's kind of pull the reins back to not do that. Because as a quarterback, Archer, you know this, as a quarterback, there's not much time for indecision. Mm. You can't None. be back there, None. you know, contemplating, hmm, is this one of those type of throws that I should make? And I think, you know, with time, Ritter is becoming more aware of when he can do that and the guys that he can do that too. See, that's a key point for me, Rack yep. and, and Shock, is he's got 15 starts. He has not started an entire season of football. For some reason, there's a judge on him that he's been in the league for three or four years. He's been in the league year, years, two years, sure, but he's played 15 games. And so there's a I'm, – I'm telling you, Shock will tell you – I went through it. There's a learning curve as to what you can get away with and what you can't. He's still kind of pushing the window as to what he can and can't get away from, away with. And I, I concur with Shock in that you have to understand the areas of the field that you're willing to try to shove it in to put a guy up the bat. And right now, to me, those areas would be outside the numbers. When you've got Drake London – uh, up against what he had where Winfield's setting up to try to catch it. He can come across and, inter- and and take the ball away. But it's an outside-the-number scenario. When you start trying to shove the ball inside, 
against zone coverage, you're bringing a lot more people to the table, whether the ball's tipped in the air. There's yep. a lot more things that can happen there. I think he's still learning some of those things. But make no mistake, the dude made some big-time throws in this game and gave you a chance to win the football game. And, and, and Let me throw one back at you. As I, as I hear you talk about it, the one thing that comes to my mind, he said, okay, he's played 15 games, and you're a guy who's played a bunch of ball in the National Football League. For a fan, I would think, how long does it take to find that comfort level? How long does it take for a quarterback to say, okay, it took me a year, it took me eight games, it took me a couple of road games? I mean, as a guy who's done it, when did you start to feel comfortable about, okay, I can afford to do this throw, I can afford to have this kind of uh, play in a certain type of, of game? How long did it take you? I'll tell you, uh, specifically, I remember things clicking for me in my third training camp. Mm. Okay, I got to start my second year in the league. I came in off the bench my rookie year the last two games of the season. And I made a couple of bad throws there. I made a couple of good throws there, but I was still kind of feeling it out. But in my second year, when I took over as a starter for Steve Barkowski, there were a lot of bad throws. There were some good throws, but there were a lot of stuff that I, wow, that's a throw, that was a throw I made at Iowa State. I can't yeah. make that throw here. Yeah. You know. And then once I got to my third training camp, things began to click. All of a sudden, you're more comfortable with the system. You're more comfortable with the guys you're throwing to. And, and there's just a confidence low. But I think it's a different – I don't think there's a here's the recipe book, it works for every quarterback. I right. think it's different for different guys. Obviously, yep. C.J. Stroud has hit the ground running for the yep. Texans. Yep. There's other guys that, that hasn't hit the ground. I mean, look at the guy we're going to play this weekend. Yep. He's still struggling. Yep. And some of that has to do with the people around him or whatever. But um, it's different for everybody. Yeah, I, I think it's great that you guys point this out because – I think the, you could probably make the argument that there's a whole lot more guys that come in and struggle, mm. rookies, than come in and hit the ground running. Oh, yeah. And, yes, a lot of people want to look at a C.J. Stroud, and he was a phenomenal quarterback at Ohio State, and he's having success with the Texans. But you're right. Bryce Young is having one heck of a season in the negative fashion with the Carolina Panthers. And he never faced this when he was at Alabama. Mm -hmm. He always had 300, 350, 400-yard right. games. I even think back to when I was playing. When Michael Vick came in, Michael Vick was not a great passer in the NFL. Michael Vick won because he was a great athlete that made people miss with his legs. And yes, he also had the huge arm mm -hmm. that he had to figure out how to kind of bear it in every once in a while. Like when you're throwing a crossing route from a tight end or a wide receiver that's coming across the formation four yards down the field and you throw one 65 miles an hour, that's a hard ball to catch. I don't mm -hmm. care who you are. So I think it's it's a great point to kind of put it in perspective. I mean, Bryce Young, number one overall pick, they're one and 12, okay? And the Falcons are six and seven. Does the average, does the casual fan want the Falcons to play better, their quarterback to play better? Does the coaching staff and the players want the quarterback? Yes. Yeah. The answer is yes. But there is a process to where all this stuff starts to slow down a little bit. We always talk about that in the college game, right? Mm -hmm. when, when does the game start to slow down? When does the pro game start to slow down? Think about Jordan Love sat behind Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre yeah. for a number of years, years yeah. before these guys got an opportunity to come in. Think about all the knowledge that they picked up over those years. And I'd say that Jordan Love is still having some of his struggles with the Green Bay Packers. So let's let's talk about this. Let's move ahead to the game this weekend because here is, here is the truth of the matter. 
They lost the game. They were in a great position to kind of create a little distance. However, they're still tied, technically, atop the division. Yes, Tampa Bay holds the edge right now because of their, their record over common opponents. There's four games left. Yeah. And Arthur Smith said that it's going to be like a race to the end of the season. And I started thinking about There's four games left, right? I thought, started thinking about like a 400-meter dash in track and field, right? <laughs> like that can be kind of like that, that's a very exciting race, right? Yeah. And so you got basically the 50 meters here for four games. Each leg. Each leg. Yeah, yeah. And this thing is going to get exciting as we go. And so everything is still out in front of Atlanta with a game this weekend, Arch, that you'd like to think that they would feel confident going into. I'm not going to sit here and say the game that they oh, should win. Right. This is the NFL. Yeah. But you got a team that's going the absolute opposite direction of everybody in the National Football League and the Carolina Panthers. They've got a whole lot more questions going on than Atlanta does. But yet, how does Atlanta go up on the road and get a win? Well, number one, they've got to control the run game. Uh, Carolina's run game has improved over the last couple of weeks. Chuba Hubbard has kind of become their featured runner. He's running the football extremely well. Bryce has seen more things, so is he improving? I mean, I'm sure in his mind he thinks he is, and so um, he'll be a better version of the one you saw in week one. I mean, that seems like a lifetime ago that <laughs> you played him in week Goodness one. Gracious. He makes the two really poor throws deep in his own territory that Jesse Bates picks off that provides short field opportunities, and you win the game by two touchdowns. Um, this is the same team that I believe in Tampa last week, or was it where there was in Carolina, um, that was a 21, what, 19 game or whatever. They've played in, I think, five one-score games. Now, they've won one of them. Right. Um, and so they've been in games. So just to think, okay, there's one in 12. We'll roll our hats out there, get this win. Let's look forward to what we got coming up. No, that's not the way it's going to work. This will be a hard-fought game. And they, by the way, they've got a defensive unit that's pretty good. When you got Burns coming off the edge and you got Derrick Brown on the interior, mm. those two guys caused problems for us in week one. Mm-hmm. And Brown's caused problems for us since he's been in the league. So you can bet that they'll have to concentrate on those guys. So the only victory, as you mentioned, was a 15-13 win over Houston, the aforementioned C.J. Stroud and company. But since then, they've lost six straight games. I was looking at some of the stats, DJ. You look at Carolina this year, right? Total offense, 30th in the NFL. Scoring offense, 30th in the NFL. Scoring defense, 31st. Turnover margin, minus eight, just nine takeaways. However, to your point, Arch, defense, fourth total defense in the NFL. Now, they've given up points. They've obviously, the record doesn't reflect it. But what Arch is talking about, this defense still has some players. They have had the ability to slow down opposing offenses. So that's why we say they're still going to have, Atlanta's still going to have to execute, especially on offense, against a talented defense. And the the one thing that Arch mentioned first off was take care of the football. And you talk about playing against a defense that's in that mindset of, okay, how can we help our other side even better? And you go into a game and say, okay, if we can cause two or three turnovers, that's two or three extra possessions that we give our offense a chance to score more points. And you go on the road, you turn the football over, you give them some confidence, and all of a sudden, all right, we got us a ball game. We're in this. I don't care about – you don't go in this game saying, all right, we won 1-12. You go in this game and say, okay, how do I find a way to win another ball game? It's a division opponent. You're going to be at home. And I think the number one thing is what you just talked about, Arch, is taking care of the football in this game on the road is crucial. And that's something that we have stressed every single week, but it's the realest thing that you could talk about because that's the easiest way for a team to find confidence, to find a win, is if they have three, four extra more possessions than you. You look at his last ball game, I think Tampa had 67 plays. We had 69. Mm. 
So you say, okay, which one of those plays really was the determining factor? You never know. So if you turn the ball over a couple times, those could be the two or three plays in the ball game that gives you the decided edge in the game. So it's going to be still one of those games where you got to go earn it. And this is a defense that's not going to give it to you. Louisville on the other side has got four and a half sacks. Talking about Derrick Brown. Mm -hmm. Talking about, I mean – Brian Burns came in here in week one and hadn't practiced for two days, and we look at <laughs> the first quarter, he had two sacks. Exactly. So these guys going to have some pride about themselves. Regardless of their 1-12, these guys still have an individual career, and obviously this is a team game, but this is what you put on tape for other teams to notice is, okay, yeah, this team was down, but I saw this guy still fighting. I saw this guy still getting after people, and that's what good players in this league will do is they will show up regardless of the score, regardless of the record. They're going to come to play. So you, you can't take anything for granted in this game because of what has happened in the last six weeks of them losing ballgames. There's so many moments in the games that we all can go back to and point yeah. to, but this team, what's holding this team back right now are self-inflicted mistakes. Yeah. They're not mistakes that the other team is forcing. They're mistakes we're making ourselves. And whether it's the screen to Bijan where you don't get block on the perimeter – the ball's a tad late out there, but that didn't make the difference. you got to block the corner. The corner's rolling up, block the corner. Now Bijan's out on in space against two defenders with two blockers. You mentioned the blitz off the edge. you got to block the edge defender. Do you have to get the ball out a little quicker? Yeah, maybe. It's a max protect. I'm blocking with eight guys. Take I should good, be yeah. able to protect there. <laughs> yep. You know, If I've got a guy open in the flat on the first play of the – or first series of the game, Bijan's open in the flat against zero coverage in the right flat, i got to put the ball on him. Yep. That's a touchdown. It's a walk-in touchdown. Those are the kind of mistakes. And if you think they're being created by one guy – it's a myriad, a block here, a block there, a pass or a catch there. Don't drop the football. You know, those kind of things. And on the defensive side, there's a drop coverage here or there or misfit the run. Those, you got to eliminate the mistakes that aren't being forced by the other team. If they do that, Atlanta's as talented and as good as anybody in the league. You're talking about there's only three teams in the National – or two teams in the National Football League that have more 400-yard games offensively than Atlanta does. Mm -hmm. You know, talking about Miami and San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. So, two pretty good offenses. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you start looking at that and you think, wait a minute, we're talented enough. We got a lot of guys in us. Eliminate the self inflicted wounds. Yep. And this team is, is going to win and they're going to win handily in games. I've talked to so many people, and, and you can make this argument depending on what your sport is, right? But to what your guys' points are, that's why I've always said that football is the greatest game on the planet. Yeah. Because. In order for you to find success, 11 guys, 11 guys have to work in tandem on every single play. And not only that, in the National Football League, they got to do that against professionals yeah. every single play. So I know I'm going to kind of get in on the high horse here, but you're right, Arch. It's like you can have 10 things go right. 10 guys do everything right. One guy makes a mistake. Your play maybe goes from a no gain and, or from like a 10-yard gain to a no gain, right? Or you get all 11 working in unison, and all of a sudden you get a throw to Kyle Pitts down the, uh, down the right <laughs> side of the field for a touchdown, right? Oh. And, but, but everything has to work together. That's why this game is so great, because if you don't, you're going to – and you made a point two or three plays. One of my college coaches used to always say there's three to five plays in a game. Yeah. Three to five plays in a game that are going to make the difference between whether you win or lose. Do you make them or not? Yeah. 
Well, and here's the mind-bending part for the fan to trade because the fan wants to put a finger on one person. That person's to blame or that coach is to blame. And you just mentioned it, Rack. You've got 11 guys that are coming off the ball on your side. Every play's perfect in practice. Every play's (laughs) designed to work. Oh, by the way, the other side has 11 guys coming off the ball that think they have the perfect call on. And then you've got the matchups where maybe their guy's a little bit better than my guy in that situation, or their guy wins the battle. So I've got 11 battles going on, or however many physical battles are going on. They're going to win their share of those battles. Am I running away from where they win, or am I running right into where they win? That's the beauty of this game, and that's why you, it's not played on a board. It's not the video game because there's human beings playing head-to-head, and there's guys that outplay the other guy in particular plays, maybe not the whole game. Right. That's the beauty of it. So you try to be more perfect than they are, more plays than they are, and maybe you come out on top. So there's not one person you can put your finger on and say, that's the guy to blame. That's the guy I'm going to put the blame on. And the last part about that is with all the little pieces that you just named that's going on within a play, and it happens within three to four seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so each guy has to process everything that's happening in front of them and then react in a way that in practice it would, oh, it looked this way, but right. now in the game, that guy ain't supposed to be right there. <laughs> and all of a sudden you have to react. So there's so many things that go on in between a play. And I guess you have to realize like, it happens so fast. And like Arch said, these are professionals. You guys yeah. mentioned these are guys are professionals. They turned on the tape. They watched exactly what you do on third down. They know exactly the situation you want to do in red zone, and you have to adjust in that split amount of time. Yeah. So you know, yeah, you, you got as fans. Hey, if you're doing something and somebody tells you to adjust in three, four seconds, how good are you gonna be? Yeah. You know, sometimes it's gonna work out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it ain't. But that's just the nature of this business and why, like you mentioned, Rack, it's one of the best sports because things happen so fast, but it takes all 11 guys to make it happen in that small amount of time to make it look good. I remember, and I'll finish with this, but I remember one of the things I learned in the National Football League is is playing tight end and being in the meetings with the offensive linemen. If your first step it's is bad. six inches off, you you beat. <laughs> You're beat in the National Football League. Yeah. You can get away with it in high school. You can get away with it in college. But if you're facing a speed rusher on the outside and you're a left tackle, and you step underneath yourself by a matter of four to six inches, the chances are you're beat. You're done. They're that good. No right? question. Which is what a lot of people don't understand. And if, Or if you step underneath yourself and you got a cutoff block on a defensive tackle, somebody like Avita Vey or something, you're going to miss. Yeah. You're not going to get it. And that's the difference. That's why all everything has to work together. Not only do 10, 11 guys have to work together, but all of their footwork has Ooh. to be perfect. It's a brilliant concert, though, really. When you, you start yes. thinking about the concert you're putting together, you think about an orchestra and different groups coming in at different times, and then you factor in variations on plays. Oh, or And there's variations on both sides. Yeah. You know, there, there's if a, if a line – you see a defense checking because they get to this. Well, now all of a my play doesn't work because they checked to that. So now I'm checking out of that to something else. And then on, in that route – there may be two variables or three variables within the route. We're talking about the, the play that was intercepted. That was an RPO play. So I had a run and a pass option on it. And I'm reading the defense based on the way they react. Well, then the defense, Todd Bowles actually calls roll coverage up. So not only did I have a good play on with two against two, but they had a perfect coverage that was going to try to split that block. Now, you still got to get the block. Mm-hmm. still got to make the block. 
but give them some credit too. They had they had the right design, right play on for that scenario. Those are the variations in the game, and that's that's the beauty. That's why I love doing the games. That's the way we all love being around the game. That's why we played the game. That's why it's one of the hardest games, probably the hardest play, game to play. So the Atlanta Falcons hoping that they have a perfectly executed <laughs> symphony orchestra <laughs> this weekend we got, in uh, Carolina. We got Shock on the on the uh, trumpet this weekend. <laughs> Shaq, can you be our uh, director? Oh, no. I can do that all day. <laughs> to put all the pieces together this weekend against the Carolina Panthers, <laughs> Falcons go on the road to face a divisional opponent, and let's see if they can come back with an even 500 record, 7-7, seven and seven, and stay atop the NFC South. Thanks so much for joining us here on a Falcons Audible presented by AT&T. We'll be back same time, same place next week to break it all down for you. Take care, everybody. Come on. We got to have it. Let's go.